Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Homefront edition of the um, On the Record podcast at Furniture Today. Um, Tom Russell and I, I'm Powell Slaughter. We're going to be, we got a special guest on today, and we're going to be talking about something that's on everybody's mind right now, which is um, transportation, um, ocean trucking, you know, coming in and out of the ports. And it's a real bugaboo for everybody right now. Um, We have a special guest today um, to talk with us on that. Um, Steve Wolf. Um, he's got 40 years um, working in um, furniture industry supply chain. Um, he's currently chief operating officer at Stone and Lee, based in Morganton, North Carolina. Um, over the course of his career, um, Steve was VP of domestic and international operations at Stanley Furniture. He was executive vice president at Zenith Global Logistics. And before that, he um, was with Broyhill Furniture out of Lenore, North Carolina, for many years, um, the um, past subsidiary of the old Furniture Brands International. Um, He was vice president of global supply chain and administrative operations there. And he's still very active in the industry on multiple furniture and supply chain boards. So he's he's got more than his toe in the water with these issues. Um, Steve, thanks a lot for joining us today. Well, good morning, gentlemen, and, and happy new year. Uh, we, we all think it's going to be a better year, right? Yes, so, sir. <laughs> well, one would think it has to be. I think um, it has to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've been we've been watching this for a couple of months now. And um, in our conversations before this, Steve, you mentioned that this current um, this current hold up in product flow, it's not looking good, at least through the first half of this year. Um, let's kind of go, you know, go go at it from start to finish. Let's start with um, what's going on with the ocean carriers these days. Um, what are you hearing out there from the people you work with and your contacts in the industry? Well, there's been, as we all know, uh, there's been a deluge of business in the, in the industry and, and uh, you know, it goes back from when COVID first started and there were all the shutdowns. And I think a lot of uh, people got uh, light on inventory and then began to order heavily out of the uh, out of the Far East. And then you got to put the e-commerce uh, factor in there. E-commerce picked up, you know, I know in our business it tripled, you know, during that time it was uh, it was a a pleasant surprise, but a surprise nonetheless. And uh, so what this has done, you know, from the uh, order book to the Far East, it's put a lot of pressure uh, on the uh, ocean industry and also on uh, domestic transportation as well. But I thought, you know, I uh, am tied in with the Journal of Commerce and and uh, it's a uh, really the one of the 
leading publications for global logistics, uh, you know, across the world. And and uh, I just wanted to go down and and highlight some bullets that have come out over the last three weeks. And and uh, you know, we can talk about these, but it kind of gives an indication uh, of the problem and where the, where the weak link here is in the supply chain on ocean transportation. Right. Just just to start. Extra loaders not sufficient to handle U.S. import volumes from Asia. So the steamship lines have added uh, extra capacity in, but it's still not enough to take care of the backlog of volumes that they have. Double-digit Trans-Pacific growth projected through the first half. Capacity constraints, higher rates, spur demand for alternative partial solutions. This is this is more a domestic problem right there, which is the FedEx UPS. Uh, DHL and, and the Postal Service issues. Uh, the carrier's on-time reliability falls to record lows in November. Truckload driver pay, job turnover, both rising. We'll come back to that. Carriers add containers, but there's no swift end to the equipment shortage. Shippers facing a different game in 2021 as freight costs rise. Import surge at southeast ports tightens chassis availability. U.S. retailers project strong import growth, at least through April. Import deluge fills Los, Los Angeles Long Beach terminals to capacity. U.S. container shipping system is tilting against the exporters. Shippers versus carriers as market tension rises. Record rates, poor service, and a worsening equipment imbalance. And to complicate all those things and what that's saying, the, the, the carriers are taking advantage of the situation. It's always been supply and demand over the years is where the rate structures were going to be. And so, you know, advantage carriers in a big way right here. And they're continuing to add acronyms of surcharges into their contracts. So if you didn't have your own uh, existing contract or if you did and you didn't have these acronyms blocked out in there, you're subject to these surcharges, such as a, uh, a CGD port congestion surcharge. Uh, a container repositioning charge, which is big right now because of the imbalance of equipment. There's been such an influx of equipment to the U.S. There's not enough containers on the origin side right now. Now, overweight surcharge, anything they can dream up to, uh, you know, and I'm speaking from the shipper side here, but anything, I've seen this many times, anything that, that can be uh, put together from the, from the ocean carriers to try to generate revenue, they're going to do it and they get away with it. And, you know, at the beginning of the contract season, which was last March, April, um, you know, rates were negotiated somewhere around the $2,500 level port to port. Uh, and that would be a China-based port such as uh, Yantian or Shanghai to the East Coast, $2,500. And right now those rates are around $5,500 to get on a vessel. And if you can get on a vessel, and there's one carrier I'm aware of out there that's, that's got a, what's called a diamond rate. They're charging, if you want to pay $10,000 for a, for a slot on a vessel, you can get on that vessel, which means somebody that paid good money to get on the vessel is going to get rolled off of it. So um, it's, it's, a, it's an advantage carrier situation right now. And um, I think a lot of importers and a lot of shippers will tell you right now, they can't even get on the baskets, you know, which is causing big delays. So uh, this is 
the, you know, the, these rates can kind of go up and down and, um, you know, they aren't built into pricing, but they are built in, you know, I've heard a lot of vendors taking, they're taking their own surcharges on top of their pricing to, um, you know, to just get, just basically get this stuff to the, to their customers. Um, do you, do you, do you have any sense of how long this sort of extraordinary situation is going to last? Um, um, well, I think if, if just just trying to, to read some of the tea leaves here about what the projections are through the first half of the year is expected to be, you know, you know, record growth through the first half. Um, and I already know, I mean, there's some in, in talking with some of my, my carrier friends that some of them have said there's no amount of money through March now that will get a container on a vessel right now. So there there's. Vessel capacity is locked out through March, and it looks like it's going to go on beyond that uh, as uh, as the Far East tries to catch up these backlogs. You know, it's interesting, too, Steve, as we talk about the ability to get on a vessel. I was talking this morning with a um, case goods importer that said, um, yeah, we've got inventory stateside, you know, in our warehouse here in North Carolina. and we're hoping that to keep that fairly full to the next month or so, next month, two, three months, perhaps. But a lot of that is going to depend on the ability of the factories in Asia, you know, to, to be able to warehouse goods. Because right now with these inability, they were saying this inability to get on a container is backing up. You know, the, there's now less and less space available in the Asian warehouse, where in fact there is a warehouse at the factory or a temperature control warehouse, what have you. So that as those those warehouse spaces get filled up, that's gonna slow down ultimately, potentially, the flow of goods off the production line. Do you see that? Um, how do you see this playing out? Well, I think that's a that's a real concern. Um you know when the when the when the tariffs went in into China, as we all know, then a lot of uh, manufacturing shifted down to the Southeast Asian countries down there, and particularly mm-hmm. Vietnam, who had a probably a little better infrastructure. But infrastructure is not great. It's not like China. Mm-hmm. It's getting better, but it doesn't have the same capacities down there. So that's that's a real concern, uh, especially if you want to use a temperature control warehouse uh, in Vietnam. There's not that many. Uh, and a lot of importers are already using those warehouses for their Far East programs. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if everybody's filled up over there, really they can't run production, right? So it, it it can have a big impact, no question. Tom had done some reporting um, this week um, on one example how some people are trying to get around this as far as, you know, who, who have traditionally imported from Asia. Um, Tom, you were talking, you know, you reported on March Carson. What, uh, can, you know, oh, what, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They, uh, thanks for mentioning that, pal. That's one um, probably uh, example that was, you know, that the company announced. I think they want their dealers to know that even though they had to make some tough decisions, they dropped about 20 20 plus case goods collections in line 
and keeping um, one existing collection of pup bestseller, uh, Marge Carson's Palo Alto bedroom in Mexico, as well as the bulk of their product, their upholstery lawn. They, now they have four um, wood framed sofa groups, upholstery groups that are moving from Asia. And that will be it. They'll be, they'll be in Mexico entirely, which is an interesting dynamic where he's starting, people are asking me more and more about Mexico as well. Steve, have you heard any other examples of that? Um, I don't know, you know, sometimes you can't name names, but what, what are you hearing about there well, as far as the workaround of like the yeah, old French person? I think I can name the names that have already been in furniture today. And, yeah. you know, Gap Creek was one that they wanted, they're going ahead and expanding some of their domestic capacity. I've never really been a, an importer, but they're, they're seeing the demand that they need and they're doing it domestically. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly Marge Carson and, you know, Jim LaBarge has just said, you know, uh, too many customer disruptions and we don't want to treat our customers this way. So, you know, we're, we're going to do something different, which was the Mexico solution for them. And uh, then Bill wrote a, a nice article on Ashley Furniture. And, uh, you know, what they're doing, they're increasing domestic production. They're increasing their logistics fleet. And I read the article again this morning, and he said, you know, we're we're increasing what we're doing in, in Asia uh, as long as we can get containers. So, I mean, the... You know, as large as Ashley is, I mean, obviously they're having their own container issue as well, trying to get on board vessels. But, pal, I think you and I talked about this a year or so ago that there can come a time where people, you know, they want to start looking at, at near shoring or near sourcing and, and uh, you know, start looking at other options besides the Far East because this is a just the pinnacle of an example of what can happen to your supply chain. And so there, there's going to be some sticking power for some of these, um, some of these shifts in, in, in where the products actually coming from. You think? I think so. Um, we've been talking about importers. Um, what, what are some of the some of the issues that domestic manufacturers are facing? Obviously, they've got huge backlogs right now. But in terms of getting the product out to retailers from their DCs or um, you know to um, you know, if they're if they're dealing with e-commerce, fulfilling that, um, what what are the issues they're facing? And in, 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 you know, in, in terms of once it's in, once a product's here, or is if it's made here, what are some of the issues and costs that you're seeing right there? Yeah, well, I think um, you know, back to what you said. First of all, if they can get it here, but when they when they get it here, and as far as getting it out. Uh, it has not been that much of an issue, especially the, the 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 furniture importers that are using the specialized furniture carry industry. I touched base with several of those people before this call, and and most of them, are, with the exception of a couple, their service times are pretty good. And mm -hmm. uh, you know they you know they've had their issues as well with volumes and. Uh, the tightness on equipment, but they've been able to work through it. You know, what I've seen, I think if you're using uh, any retailer that may be using a general commodity carrier, I think you're, you're seeing increased cost there. Um, uh, fuel luckily has been at a good spot for quite a while, but there's still a driver shortage. That's one of the points that 
you know, the Journal of Commerce was made here is a truckload driver pay and job turnover both rising. And that's not that's not changing. That's going to continue to go up. I, I read the American Trucking Association's projections and, and uh, by 2023, there will be over 100,000 driver shortage uh, positions. And um, it's, it's a tough industry right now to try to try to make that work. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Tricia again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. I mentioned the specialized furniture carriers, um, for the most part, doing you know pretty well. Um, are they a little more ins? Are they a little more insulated from this shortage situation, or are they in better shape than say the general commodity guys? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, I, I think. You know, and this has been something we've been looking at for a couple of years, and there's yeah. there's been a couple of committees set up to study what can be done to uh, to help with the situation. But uh, they're subject to some of the same problems, but uh, it seems to be more rampant in the truckload carrier uh, general commodity issues, where a lot of a lot of drivers will jump to another carrier for a signing bonus. Uh, you know, and meet or and maybe no touch freight or something like that. And I think the 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 drivers with the uh, specialized furniture cares for the most part have been very little and dedicated, and there's not been that much turnover. Just they need they need more drivers for the for the uh, capacity issues that they they're having. Talk about driver shortage, and uh, you know, when I first came back to furniture today, it's been six years, and I think for five years we've been dealing with issue yeah. so that's just something that it sounds like people are figuring out how to manage that a little better but um looking at what's going on right now um you know we mentioned some of the um, alternative sourcing strategies that are coming into place um what are some things that that um you feel like um, shippers can do to manage this situation as it is right now and hopefully work around, or is this just something we're all stuck with for a while? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, right now, because of the, the traditional supply chains that have existed in the furniture industry, I just, I, I think everybody's just up against it right now. They're, they're paying the higher prices. Uh, they're staying on top of their freight forwarders and their, NVOCCs to uh, make sure that they're going to get on a vessel. And, you know, if they have an expedited container and they're paying extra money, they got to be sure that one's getting on timing. Uh, but, you know, right now, right now, I don't think there's any opportunity other than, just, than, than paying higher prices. I think everybody's stuck in that model. It seems too, Steve and, and Powell, that, you know, as I've talked to folks too, this is like a, almost like a universal situation. I mean, there's no avoiding price increases. I talked to some companies that have brought product out of Indonesia and are seeing doubling of some of their container uh, costs. And you think, wow, Indonesia, that maybe they're a little more insulated, but not quite so much. Um, the containers, you know, even shipping like 
containers of raw materials, metal, glass, hardware components, things of that nature, fabrics from China, you know, to Vietnam, those costs have exploded too, we were hearing anecdotally. And on top of that, you know, we were talking about Mexico a little bit ago and, and how that is really a, a, can be a, a good alternative in our own kind of backyard, our neighbor. Um, but everybody I talked to there says the, the trucking costs have gotten astronomical in, in Mexico. This situation certainly has kept um, surfacing. It continues to surface. And I think everybody is just eager for some resolution. We've all seen the ups and downs price of containers, et cetera, you know, with peak demand, et cetera, every, every shipping, you know, high peak shipping season. But this, these are extraordinary times indeed. I think we're, you know, and I've been actually doing uh, ocean contracts probably since the early 90s. And this is probably in being involved in the industry, and this is probably the worst that, that it's ever been. There have been other spikes, you know, and they've been worked through in shorter periods of time. This one's just an extended issue. And we mentioned earlier the equipment imbalance. Uh, you know, for every three containers that are coming into the U.S. right now, one's going back. And it's going to have to get rebalanced. So even at origin, having trouble getting equipment that they need, even though the, the steamship lines have been adding more containers into the into the flow. Um, and you mentioned Indonesia, you know, Indonesia, you know, our company sourced it from Indonesia uh, and been down there several times. And that there's no insulation down there either on, on the exposure that there that exists with the steamship line. We um, obviously there people are having to charge more to get the goods to retailers. Um, you know, retailers obviously don't like price increases. Um, they don't want to have to raise their prices. But in this situation, you know, if you were you know talking to retailers, what would you? What advice would you have for retailers on how to deal with this situation? How to work with their cut with their vendors? Um, is there anything they can do on their end to, you know, one kind of protect themselves, and two, you know, maybe help out their vendors a little bit um, in the way they work with them? Well, we know how retail retailers don't want any type of price increase, you know, and you can talk about what's going on with domestic upholstery manufacturing right now. There's been several increases in foam and and uh, and the parts that make up the frame and it's been hard to pass those increases along to the retailing uh, these are kind of unusual times right now and i think in order to get the inventory and to get the product that they need that somebody's got to pay mm -hmm. so the manufacturer going to pay the whole bill or are they going to be able to pass some of that along to the retailer as a you know, as, as partners in this process, it's 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 lasted longer than normal. Normally, a normally an importer would would absorb the cost if it was going to be a two or three month problem. But this is this has been a year long problem. Yeah, um, I get. I didn't. Um, I I think I should kind of rephrase. Maybe is there anything that retailers can do from 
mean, from an operational standpoint, from an order pattern, ordering pattern standpoint, um, kind of their processes um, in the way they deal with vendors and get product. Is there anything they can do as far as the way they manage their own product flow coming in? Well, it would probably, yeah, that would that would probably vary from retailer to retailer, depending on whether you're big box or, or uh, large brick and mortar or your smaller retailer as to what they may be able to, to do to help uh, alleviate some of the issues on their panel. So I, I'm not sure what each one, each individual ones would be able to do to try to try to help there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that we're trying to communicate, um, you know, through this discussion and, and interviews that we've had, both Pal and myself and other members of the Furniture Today team, is that the industry really is in this together. Again, these are extraordinary times, challenging times. And, um, you know, it, it kind of helps to, uh, to understand what these issues are. And, and Steve, you're doing a great job helping communicate that. But I think further complicating this whole issue is, okay, you have the location of logistics costs on one side of the equation, and then we've got some staggering material costs. I've heard um, somebody was telling me um, during First Tuesday that the Chinese uh, media is reporting about the staggering increases in wood prices, the lumber prices, um, whether it's for construction, flooring, or furniture. I mean, they're, they're going through the roof. And um, those are all weighing into the decisions, the cost pressures that we're hearing from the manufacturing side going into uh, the finished goods. And, and at some point, folks are, if they haven't already, those price increases are coming home to roost. They're going to be taking effect here. One, one major company I talked to said they're announcing theirs this, this week. Uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing some others um, come about. So it's it seems like a perfect storm out there right now. Do you have any yeah, thoughts on you know how to, again, it's communicating to the retailer so they understand that this is a universal situation? Well, that's right. And, you know, hopefully this podcast will help maybe some of the retailers understand the, some of the complexities and challenges that are being uh, faced right now. But, you know, when the when the tariffs were implemented out of China mm-hmm. uh, and those cost increases came through, I know that uh, a lot of, of manufacturers did share that increase. They did pass part of it, not the whole thing. They passed part of it through. Mm-hmm. and and you know, everybody knew that there were tariffs in China and that the cost of the products were going up. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course, the, the manufacturers tried to scurry down to Southeast Asia and try to avoid as much as they can, but you couldn't do all of it. And uh, so I, I think just just having some education on what's going on in the, in the industry, I mean, these are real dollars. These are real costs that, that the manufacturers are incurring. And, and I think the retailers are going to have to understand there's got to be some sharing passing along. And we as consumers ultimately are the ones that actually end up paying that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've talked, it seems like for years we've talked about 
kind of virtual price deflation in the, in the furniture industry. Uh, and a Jerry Epperson <laughs> in one of his columns last year said, well, if you, if you don't raise your prices now, then you're going to have some real values that you're going out of business sale. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's time. And, you know, we, you know, markets are, you know, supply and demand. Demand is certainly out there for furniture. And, you know, we're all struggling to keep up with the supply. So you look at the price of furniture, I think a lot of furniture compared to other consumer um, your products uh, that are out there, um, electronics, automobiles, experiences like dining out, travel, and, and it still seems like a pretty good value when you think about it. Well, I think it's, a, I guess, hats off to the retailers for denying price increases all these years, right? But uh, you're, you're right, compared to uh, the escalation of prices in the automobile industry and everything, the furniture's been a super value over the years, which is why it went, you know, realistically is why it went offshore to start with, right? Yeah. It was to it was to maintain a lower cost structure. Yeah. It's never been high margin for a lot of people, at least on the at least on the vendor side. That's correct. <laughs> Running down on our time here, but um are there any you know, it's been kind of grim news <laughs> and there might not be a lot of, you know, good news out there immediately for this for this subject. But, um, you know, you know, is there anything you'd like to share kind of looking ahead on, um, you know, for, for both from the manufacturing slash importing and retailing side on is there anything good out there that you can say for um, for the coming year? Well, I think there's gonna there is gonna be some light at the end of the tunnel. I think you know the surge will slow down. Uh, whether it, it whether it it's a real slowdown or it has to do with the fact that you just can get product and it naturally slowed down because of that. But uh, you know, I think going into into the last part of Q2 and into Q3, I think we're gonna see some some better conditions going on. Uh, I would like to say. You know, every year, and they didn't have this last year, but every year the Journal of Commerce sponsors the Trans-Pacific Maritime um, Conference out in Long Beach, California, and it's the it's the largest attended conference uh, in the world. All the ports from all over the world attend that, all the major shippers and the major uh, beneficial cargo owners, such as the Targets and the Big Lots and all those people attend this event. And, this year, it's going to be a combination of uh, on-site, but also they're going to offer this virtually. And and I would recommend anybody can spend some time watching this conference. It's a four-day event, but anybody can spend some time watching this virtually. I think you'll get some real insight uh, from some, some professional people, some economists that are involved in this. Uh, to help give them some insight on what's going to what's going to be coming in 2021 and what ocean rates are going to look like. You know, the contract season starts back up here in, in April. So that's going to be interesting. Sure. Yeah. Well, hey, um, Tom, you got anything else that you want to no, do? Uh, Steve, I just wanted to thank you so much for being with us today. This has been a great discussion and, and hopefully very informative. 
for our our listeners. Um, again, you're you're 40 plus years in the in the business with such logistics uh, background. Uh, really is has proved to be very helpful in this discussion, and and um, we wish you we wish you good luck going forward this year. Um, and hear some more interesting things about Stone and Lee too as we go forward. Okay, yeah, was well, yeah. glad to spend time with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank yeah. Thanks, Steve. Always good seeing All you, right. man. Take All care. Right. Thanks so much.